When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. The intruder was shouting, where's Nancy? The suspect pulled the hammer away from Ms. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My aspiration for Twitter or the digital town square would be that it is as inclusive uh, in, in the broader sense of the word, as possible. This stuff is great. This Twitter, it's sort of like owning the New York Times without the losses. Can you believe that? No, it's like incredible. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Speaker of the House was the intended target. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as we end the week with new concerns about political violence. Hours after Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked inside their San Francisco home, the intruder chanting, Where's Nancy? amid new calls for lawmaker security ahead of the elections. We're joined tonight by Leon Panetta, former director of the CIA, former secretary of defense, once a lawmaker from California himself, and a longtime friend of Pelosi. We'll be joined as well by Tim Romer, former ambassador, former congressman and architect of the 9-11 Commission. Later, we widen our focus to political speech and the digital town square. Now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, we'll talk with Catherine Keneally of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. And our signature panel helps us make sense of it all. Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano here for the hour. And we start with what little we know about the attack on Paul Pelosi, who is being treated for blunt force trauma. Following what appears to be an attempted home invasion, San Francisco police say no motive has been confirmed. But we've been doing a lot of reporting today, and a source close to the investigation tells Bloomberg that the man identified as David DePepe was yelling, where's Nancy, when he entered the home. Indeed, Nancy Pelosi was the intended target. Police Chief William Scott on what officers saw when they arrived at the scene. Here he is. When the officers arrived on scene, they encountered an adult male and Mr. Pelosi's husband, Paul. Our officers observed Mr. Pelosi and the suspect both holding a hammer. The suspect pulled the hammer away from Ms. Pelosi and violently assaulted him with it. The chief says the officers tackled the man. They got a hold of the hammer. Nancy Pelosi was in Washington when all of this happened, leading us all to wonder how this would have gone if she and her security detail had been in her home at the time. And of course, we all know that political violence is on the rise. It's touched members of both parties. Just ask Steve Scalise. Ask Lee Zeldin, who was attacked at the podium during this cycle. 
And the idea of this man yelling, where's Nancy, recalls the sounds of rioters on January 6th. Remember this as they marched up the stairs at the Capitol to the Speaker's office? It's chilling to hear it now. That was from tape provided by the January 6th Select Committee. We're joined now by someone who has not only seen the underbelly of political violence as director of the CIA and a lawmaker himself who worked closely with Nancy Pelosi for many years. Leon Panetta, also former secretary of defense, once a congressman from California, to be more specific. Mr. Secretary, welcome back to Bloomberg. I do appreciate your being here today. People have great concerns in the Capitol and around the country. How worried should Americans be about radicalized political violence here in the U.S.? Well, this is uh, another uh, chilling threat uh, that uh, domestic terrorism uh, is very real in our society, particularly uh, the kind of violent terrorism that's aimed at political leaders. Uh, And what you saw happen today is a chilling echo from what happened on January 6th when a mob uh, was going through the Capitol basically yelling, uh, and, and trying to go after Nancy Pelosi at that time. Yeah. Uh, bottom line is words have consequences, and people need to understand that. Capitol Police reported more than 9,600 threats against lawmakers uh, in 2021, more than double the number in 2017. Mr. Secretary, many more have been recorded this year. Senator Susan Collins Republican from Maine uh, tells the New York Times she wouldn't be surprised if a lawmaker were killed. Should the government provide security details for all members of Congress? Well, I I think they have to give consideration to uh, uh, providing security, particularly to uh, those uh, who are, in fact, threatened. Uh, And uh, the amount of threats has gone up to a to a high these uh, these last few years since January 6th. Uh, it is incredibly important that we take these threats seriously. Uh, violence is real. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen, in, as director of the CIA, uh, Al-Qaeda used to use uh, social media sites in order to recruit other terrorists. Uh, and uh, they were successful at it. And yeah. people tuned into those sites, became terrorists, and engaged in violence. And we're seeing that uh, right now with regards to domestic terrorism. The House Sergeant at Arms, as I'm sure you know, uh, rolled out a program earlier this year that would pay uh, $10,000 to install or improve equipment in lawmakers' residences, uh, along with the monthly maintenance fees and so forth. But we're hearing stories Mr. Secretary, from people like Liz Cheney, who have had to use their own campaign money to pay for personal security. I know this would be a very expensive endeavor, but how should it be done? Well, look, I I think that uh, uh, security people, particularly with the Capitol Police, uh, ought to be giving serious consideration to what steps can be taken uh, that uh, can help protect uh, lawmakers. Uh, This is not uh, a Republican or Democratic issue. Uh, This involves members on both sides of the aisle. As you pointed out, uh, Steve Scalise uh, was a target of terrorism. Uh, At the same time, Gabby Giffords 
was a target of terrorism. Uh, this thing is on the increase. Uh, and therefore, I, I would encourage the Capitol Police to sit down and take steps to try to provide uh, protection uh, to those members, particularly those members who are receiving uh, you know, the heaviest uh, threats that are out there. Uh, Nancy Pelosi obviously has her a security team, but uh, here's her husband at home alone, and yeah. suddenly this guy jumps into the house uh, going after Nancy Pelosi and attacks him. Uh, wow. We have got to provide better protection for our members of Congress. Yeah, this is a real issue here, and, and I don't want to cross the line with you here, uh, Mr. Secretary, but I know that you are close to the Pelosi's. Has has any of the reporting been out of bounds today? And have have you spoken with the speaker to, to know that she is well? Uh, I put in a call to the uh, office there to express uh, my concerns about what happened. Uh, you know, that families have uh, been through hell uh, as a result of these kinds of threats and attacks. Uh, and I particularly feel uh, feel really uh, great condolences for Paul and what he's going through. But I just think it's important, frankly, for both Republicans and Democrats. I'm glad that the leaders from both parties have expressed their concerns about the violence that took place. I think the leaders from both parties have to take steps to try to deal with this plague of words of violence yeah. uh, that, that's out there on social media, uh, because, frankly, it's that, it's that hate that's being planted in social media that is poisoning the minds of people. I don't know how you get to that, uh, Mr. Secretary, but I do thank you for being with us today. Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense, the former Director of the CIA, former White House Chief of Staff, and Chairman of the Panetta Institute for Public Policy, of course, longtime California lawmaker who clearly uh, knows the Pelosi's and is as concerned about this as anyone. Some of the other reporting that we did on this, look, this has been a tough year for Paul Pelosi, right? My goodness, arrested for DUI. He's been accused of uh, insider trading in the media. Now this is also a story about crime, of course, which has become a huge issue on the campaign trail, one that Republicans have tried to capitalize on. And we looked at some of the numbers earlier today. You know, we are data driven here at Bloomberg. Uh, and the data do not support the whole hug-a-thug narrative surrounding Democrats in cities like San Francisco, like Chicago, like Philadelphia. A third way, the center-left group third way, and you hear some of their representatives with us, Jim Kessler, uh, times here on this program. They put a big uh, project together on this and found that crime is a problem for Republican-run cities and states just as much or more than the Democratic ones, the the. The incredible uh, fact that I found earlier there was the city of Jacksonville, Florida. Of course, a Republican mayor had 128 more murders in 2020 than San Francisco. So is this a crime story? Yes. Is this a political violence story? Yes, it's that too. As we try to make sense of it together here on Bloomberg Sound On. By the way, I will recall as well commentary. It's not just crazy people on social media. The minority leader of the House in August of 2021, remember Kevin McCarthy was criticized heavily for trying to land a joke at a fundraiser. It was a Tennessee Republican fundraiser. He's talking about, I'm going to get this gavel back from Nancy Pelosi. Remember what he said? Listen. I 
want you to watch Nancy Pelosi hand me that gown. It will be hard not to hit her with it, he said. Fast forward to today, Glenn Youngkin on the campaign trail. Making, I guess, light of the situation and the way that he framed this. Listen, enough of Abigail Spanberger, enough of Joe Biden. And uh, listen, I, I want to stop for a minute and and. Uh, Listen, Speaker Pelosi's husband, uh, they had a break-in last night in their house, and he was assaulted. There's no room for violence anywhere, but we're going to send her back to be with him in California. That's what we're going to go do. That's what we're going to go do. I'm treating it like a laugh line there. Maybe it's the way the crowd responded that made it noteworthy. But people need to be careful here. I've been looking forward to talking with Tim Romer about this, former U.S. congressman from India, a member of the 9-11 Commission, former U.S. ambassador to India. Ambassador, it's great to have you here uh, once again on Bloomberg Radio. Would you go into politics now if you were a young man looking at this political landscape uh, that we're describing today? Would would you do it over again? Well, Joe, good to be with you again. Uh, uh, I, I probably wouldn't because we need young people wow. to get in there. Uh, well, okay, we, but if we you were a young man. Fresh blood. If I was a young person, uh, my dream had always been since the fifth grade to run for office, and I mm-hmm. accomplished that dream at 32 years old and ran and won and served our country. It makes you scratch your head now, Joe. Uh, you know, you're worried about your family. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about your safety. Uh, I was worried about, uh, you know, getting home at 11 o'clock at night after knocking on doors. Uh, I was worried about... Uh, you know, uh, showing up at the Chamber of Commerce at 7 a.m. in the morning, not about my life. So when you consider everything that we know, and I realize it's not a lot, and we, we need to stress that, we'll still learn much more about what happened uh, in San Francisco at the Pelosi's home. But considering the trend that we were just talking about with Leon Panetta, Steve Scalise, of course, Gabby Giffords years earlier, Lee Zeldin now, what's the answer here? I mean, how do you put this genie back in the bottle? Well, this is just horrific. This is this is tragic. This is uh, uh, a, a real stain on our country at this point. I just got back from a trip uh, from India, and I can't tell you, Joe, the number of comments that I receive from people as I travel now around the world, and people kind of sadly look uh, at America now and say, what happened to you people on January 6th that you would attack your own Capital, hurt your own police officers, try to uh, derail your own constitutional process here. You're, you're, you're the standard bearer. You're, you're what we looked up to and what we want to be and do. And you, you guys are having real problems there. Uh, we, this is a problem for us worldwide. If we want to project power, we will. We'll compete against China. We will be a shining city on the hill. But we've got to get this under control, Joe, whether it's, uh, you know, somebody going after the speaker, whether it's somebody, you know, shooting uh, Steve Scalise, whether it's somebody beating up a uh, a poll worker or a canvasser down in yeah, uh, Republi- right. a Republican canvasser down in Florida. In Florida, you're this right. This has to stop. The rhetoric has to calm down. The parties can't be saying things like, you know, the Democrats want to destroy the country or Democrats saying about Republicans, 
you know, they're racist or they're all, you know, right. the same kind of people. We have to tone down the rhetoric. Enemy of the American people, uh, Donald Trump calling Nancy Pelosi evil and so forth. You were uh, a member of the 9-11 Commission, as I mentioned. You were, of course, a congressman from Indiana. If I missed a syllable there, Indiana and India sometimes bump into each other. Uh, Ambassador, <laughs> does there need to be another commission uh, like that one? I mean, as opposed to what the January 6th committee uh, did, and, and they've, by the way, done some incredible work, a, a deep investigation here. Of just a, a massive presentation that they've put together, but it's also been, you know, labeled as as political. Well, I do think we have to take a step back and first of all make sure that this doesn't happen again between now and election day. The Department of Homeland Security just released a bulletin saying, uh, you know, uh, domestic organizations are now more inclined between now and election day to harm poll workers or candidates and that the FBI and the Homeland Security Department are issuing this warning to Americans. You know, this is enough. And we need to make sure that our neighbors who are our poll workers, you know, Democrats and Republicans and independents go to make sure the, the, the votes are counted the right way. We want them protected. Now, what do you do about this long term, Joe? Uh, I've been thinking about this. Uh, you know, do you do you create a commission? Uh, I don't know about that yet, uh, but I do know there are things we can do in the short term. Things okay. from in our own lifetime. You know, my wife and I have Republican and Democratic and independent friends over for dinner. We don't try to just self-select only people <laughs> we agree with to be yeah. friends with. I was at a university last night, George Washington University. They asked me about this, even though the Pelosi event hadn't happened yet. And I said, you folks need to invite people on campus and invite a Democrat and a Republican at the same time to be on stage together and talk respectfully and listen respectfully to one another and not be an example of hatred and sowing distrust about each other and saying one party wants to destroy the other. And long term, Joe, maybe we need national service in this country to bring people together for a year. Yeah. People from Alabama to New York, from California to Indiana, a year after high school, we all get together again in our lifetimes. We understand rural and urban life, north and south. Huh. We work on projects. Yeah. The rich can't get out of it. Everybody has to do it uh, equally. <laughs> um, you know, we, we've got to do some things to bring the United States of America back together again. Well, there's a lot to be said there. Uh, I'm really glad you could join us. Tim Romer, former congressman, former 9-11 commission member, former U.S. ambassador to India. A lot there to consider. We haven't even talked about Twitter yet. We thought we'd be leading with Elon Musk today because this is all tied in here. This is one big story about political speech. And I should note a headline, a redhead on the terminal right now. Look at that. This will not come as a surprise to you if you've been following this. General Motors temporarily suspending ads on Twitter following the Musk deal. Yeah, well, he's got another company. It's called Tesla. Let's uh, assemble the panel. I'm glad to say Rick and Jeannie are both with us. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, Jeannie, what was your thought this morning when you heard about this news? Obviously, this is chilling. This is troubling. We're very glad that the speaker was not at home. But my God, what if she had been? 
That's right. You, you know, chilling, um, you know, it, it, it is com the word that comes to mind. But, you know, one thing I did thought of. Think How about, about not surprised? Not surprised. And I'll tell you why. Because their data shows that this is a widespread challenge. There's a really recent study from the University of Chicago. 13% of respondents, that's one in eight Americans, said the use of force is necessary. 5% said they would believe that violence is necessary to reinstate Donald Trump to the White House. That's about 13 million Americans. And so when we talk about this as sort of a one-off or, you know, some individual who has acted, the mm -hmm. data shows that this is much potentially more widespread in terms of people who believe the use of force and violence right. is justified. And that is the reality we're facing, you know, less than two weeks before the midterm. This was not another uh, January 6th, obviously, Rick. This was a lone wolf, but does it matter? No, there are no lone wolves. I mean, he's one of many that have uh, made attacks on uh, public officials, in this case, you know, a public official's husband. Uh, it, it's really a disturbing aspect to uh, society today. And just to build on what Jeannie was saying, the Capitol Police is, have reported that since 2017, there were 3,000, just, just under 4,000 uh, uh, threats against Congress. Uh, in 2021, it was over 9,500, yeah. and already 2,000 in the first quarter of this year. Uh, so, you know, th these are disturbing. We've got hard anecdotes about, you know, Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney and Lee Zeldin and all these people that we talk yeah. about, but it's it's universal. And I do think um, Tim Romer made actually, I think, a good point. He's like, maybe we do need a bipartisan commission on hate uh, uh -huh. because right now uh, it's boiling over. It's in our politics. It's in our society. It's presenting itself not just on the Internet, but in people's homes and where they work. And that is unacceptable. Well, I'll tell you, look, you spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill, Rick, uh, since remember what a big deal it was when the gunman uh, shot his way into the Capitol in 1998. It's been going on a long time, Rick. What kind of security should lawmakers be provided by the government? Well, you know, look, we've had things like the anthrax attacks, you know, that That's shut right. down the Capitol for a month. And, 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 and look, I mean, you don't want to have to protect people with security you know, around the clock, uh, uh, you know, just because they're members of Congress. And, and you know, where as we're going Panetta though? said, uh, if there are specific threats against a member, they can request security and, and, right. and by and large, the leadership gives it to them. Uh, there's no interest in putting anybody at risk on either side of the party. But the reality is this is an enormous undertaking. Uh, and, and, and frankly, I think it, rather than being defensive, you have to be offensive and go after the cause. I mean, the FBI says the number one threat against the country is, um, you know, domestic terrorism. Well, you know, this is just one aspect of domestic terrorism. A terrorist attack is an attack on an elected official. Yep, and and sure. so, you know, wh where's the seat? Where, where's the d Defense Department? Where's the FBI? Where's I mean, like, it's not just the Capitol Hill police no, who course. need to provide uh, security for for these members. I don't know if this is going to be a piece of legislation that comes out of the next Congress, uh, Jeannie, to create new security details, provide more funding. Uh, by the way, geez, there are still headlines coming in right now. Paul Pelosi uh, is coming out of surgery successfully. This is great to read. Paul Pelosi's skull fracture. Uh, procedure was successful according to the speaker's office Jeannie, this is as we've made this point clearly uh an issue on on both sides what does that tell us when when people from both sides of the political spectrum think it's it's okay to resort to violence how do you tackle that 
It is both sides. You mentioned Scalise, Zeldin, Kavanaugh. You can go right down the line. Uh, uh, Governor Whitmer in, in Michigan. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi had a pig head and a sprayed painted house, graffiti spray painted on her house before January 6th. Um, you know, and there's two aspects of this. One is the immediate issue that has to be addressed right away of security and protection for people. And it's not just members of Congress. It's also judges. It's also justices. Look at this, uh, you know, the son of this judge in New Jersey who was brutally murdered inside her home by an assailant. So this is going on with public officials across the board. But the other part of this, which Rick was talking about, is the source. We have to do a better job of understanding what is causing 13 million Americans or more to tell a pollster that they feel this much right. anger that violence is, it social is justified. Media? Well, and, you know, Liam Panetta that said it might it? be social media. You know, there might be other aspects, but that's where we have to understand. We have to address the issue at the cause and the source, not just try to protect these members because you yeah. can't protect against 13 million or more people who feel this way. Well, as I said, what a day to be talking about free speech, political discourse, the digital public square as Elon Musk closes the deal on Twitter. And there are a lot of questions about what that will mean as a layer of this conversation. We'll talk to Catherine Keneally coming up next. Institute for Strategic Dialogue. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119 and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Do not worry about Twitter. The Content Moderation Council will fix everything. That seems to be the idea from Elon Musk today, speaking after he closed the deal many thought would never happen. We'll explore what it means next for political speech with Catherine Keneally of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. But first, kind of weird to do a ticker search for Twitter on the terminal. Have you you tried that? Because you don't get a price. Uh, It says acquired by private investor. On 10-28-2022. Yeah, you know that guy, Elon Musk. With everyone now asking, my gosh, what's his plan and what's he going to do? There was such a period of time there where people didn't think this deal would happen at all. Of course, other than the terminal, good place to get news on Twitter is, well, Twitter, where Elon Musk himself tweets. Twitter will be forming a content moderation council with widely diverse viewpoints. The Content Moderation Council like something they pulled straight out of 1984. Uh, Elon Musk, of course, told us months ago what his plans were for Twitter in what was an exclusive and market-moving interview with Bloomberg. This brings us back to June. Listen. I, I don't think... I, my aspiration for Twitter or, in, in general, for the digital town square would be that it is as inclusive, uh, in, in the broader sense of the word, as possible... Um, that it is, it is an appealing uh, system to use. And at the time, what else, what else did he say? Remember about offending people, letting people back onto Twitter, the whole Donald Trump story. It was all about, well, your own experience. He said he wanted to get half the world on here, half the world's population onto Twitter. Basically let people do whatever the heck they want to do and let people control their own experience. Here's Elon Musk again. If your preferences are to see anything uh, or read anything, then, well, you'll get that. 
And if, but if your preferences are, well, you, you prefer not to see, uh, you know, comments that you find offensive in one form or another, then you, you, you can have that as a setting and not see it. All comes down to the settings. Wasn't that something, though? That was back in, it was June 21st? Talking with Bloomberg News. Now it's a done deal. And as he says, no major decisions on content or account reinstatements, Donald Trump, will be made until the Content Moderation Council is part of the picture. Catherine Keneally must have this all figured out already, Senior Research Manager at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Catherine, I'm real glad you could join us here today. Everyone's speculating. No one really knows the impact that Elon Musk will have on Twitter. Are you worried about what it means for political discourse? Sure. Uh, And thank you for having me. So we certainly are already seeing an emboldening emboldening of hate actors that are expecting him to discard these safeguards. But what we really want to see is that if Musk really wants this to be the digital public square that he wants. He should really start by addressing the systemic issues that he's already raised over the past uh, few months, be it increasing their algorithmic transparency and addressing inauthentic activity. Um, Doing that, uh, it'll finally give us insight into the platform that we we really don't know. But yes, we are certainly show us your algorithm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Show us but how, isn't the algorithm how like it, gets you. The algorithm is compared to the, you know, the secret uh, recipe for Coke. Isn't that isn't that private corporate uh, information? Why why make that public? Sure. So we don't actually have a federal self or regulation for social media right now. So it is private. The reason why it should be made public is. Without that information, we do not know what makes us vulnerable to online mis- uh, manipulation, be it misinformation, disinformation, hate content. And without having that algorithm ac- or algorithmic access, um, we really just don't know how it works. Or And because we don't know how it works, we can't protect vulnerable users from abuse on the platform. When you hear a story like today, we've been talking this whole hour, Catherine, about the attack on the... Uh... The Pelosi household, the attack on Paul Pelosi specifically, the number of threats that are coming from social media alone are overwhelming law enforcement when they're trying to investigate these things. How does Elon Musk control that? Sure, I think what's important is there's no there's no requirement for him to control it. And this is not just a Twitter pro- problem. This is a social media problem. What we really need is regulation across social media that comes from government, because what we've seen from the last decade or so is self-regulation just simply isn't working. Self-regulation, although he seems to think that he's going to be putting some guardrails uh, in place here. What do you make of this idea of uh, of the content moderation council? Does that encourage you or scare you? I mean, I'm glad to see that he's thinking about these things, that he's already considering how content's going to be monitored. But I, we're just going to have to wait to see how, how that plays out and yeah. how it's forms. It's I'm just, certainly skeptical. It's speculation right now. Does he put Donald Trump back on the platform? Uh, should he? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Um, no, will whether he? Should I don't think that's where I should <laughs> I come in. Do you think he will? Though I mean, that seems to be inevitable, right? If he's he's now the owner of a profitable business, 
I understand GM has just pulled its ads. They compete with Tesla. Does does Donald Trump make this a more buzzworthy property? I don't think it makes it a more buzzworthy property, but I certainly would be considering whether advertisers want to remain on that platform should Trump be brought back on. Fascinating. I'll tell you, we've got a lot to learn about this still, and I want to thank you for being with us, Catherine. She's the Senior Research Manager at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue. Catherine Keneally with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington as we wrap the week with just an incredible uh, set of headlines here. As Elon Musk closes the deal to buy Twitter, just hours away from a whole new front in the conversation about political violence following the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband. We'll talk about both uh, once again as we reassemble the panel with Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano coming up here on Sound On. Bloomberg Politics contributors, the best political panel in the business. Traffic and markets as well as we get ready to cross the threshold to the weekend together. I'm glad you joined us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The big question, of course, about Twitter remains the same. Are they going to let him back? Will they reinstate the former president of the United States? And I'm not sure how that's going to go. Does he come back if Elon asks him? Do they have to kind of arrange that in advance? It'd be embarrassing if he didn't because, well, he's got his own social media platform, and came out with a statement today on the deal closing. Donald Trump, quote, truth social (laughs) has become somewhat a phenomenon. He writes last week it had bigger numbers than all other platforms, including TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, and the rest. I have to see those numbers. It also looks and works better to my eye, he writes. I'm very happy Twitter is now insane hands and will no longer be run by radical left lunatics and Maniacs, he says, that truly hate our country. This is uh, (laughs) the same day of the Pelosi attack. Twitter must work hard to rid itself of all the bots and fake accounts. He says, this is the one they're looking for. It'll be much smaller, but better. And he ends by saying, I love truth, all caps, exclamation point. So uh, let's recall how much he did love Twitter. Because remember, he had millions of people at his fingertips here. It helped him. Become the president of the United States. Kick back, what, six years now. This is Donald Trump in 2016 talking about this platform he's on. This stuff is great. This Twitter, it's so incredible. I have like, between Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, I have like 11 or 12 million followers. 11, that's like, it's sort of like owning the New York Times without the losses. Can you believe that? No, it's like incredible. Boy, a lot's happened since then. It even sounds kind of different. Uh, Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Bloomberg Politics contributors, our signature panel to embrace the weekend along with us right now. Uh, Rick, does he make the jump? Because you've pointed out, you know, he's making money on this thing, Truth Social. Yeah, I mean, look, the Truth Social thing could be a huge boom for him if he's able to, you know, continue to add uh, people to it and get advertisers and then take it public, which is all part of the plan. Yeah, uh, this was a know, SPAC deal, right? That never. This was a SPAC deal. It's run into some trouble, uh, uh-huh. but it doesn't mean it can't rise up for another day. 
And 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 just remind everybody, he didn't get paid to be on Twitter, right? I mean, and, and the one thing we knew about Donald Trump before he became president is he didn't get out of bed unless someone was going to pay him. So, uh, you know, I, I suspect regardless of what he thinks about Twitter, he thinks Truth Social, as he just texts, is much yeah. better. And so, because it's his, and of course it must be much better. So uh, my guess is he stays right where he is because of the economic upside that his, he's got for potential there. The funny thing is, we always knew when he was getting out of bed because that would be when he'd start tweeting. That was every newsroom. He's up. He's up. It would, you know, could be eight in the morning, eleven when the first salvo's gone out. And I guess now it's it's just not the same with Truth Social, Genie. I know that you're you're a user, uh, but what what does this say here? This is Elon's tweet today. No major content decisions or account reinstatements before the Content Moderation Council convenes. There's just something uh, authoritarian sounding about the Content Moderation Council. Who's going to be on that thing? I hope he asks us, Joe. We it's should not all. Be me. <laughs> and can you feel the wind as Musk backpedals very hard from his absolute free speech it's stance? Breezy in here. Yeah, it, it's very breezy in here. And the question now is, which Elon Musk is showing up? Right? Mm-hmm. You know, we've all of a sudden got an Elon Musk who, at you know, one time Elon Musk was you know dissing all the advertisers. He was saying you know very critical things. He was critical of the people at Twitter who were you know, kowtowing, as he liked to describe it, to the advertisers. And yet the businessman in him knows it's 90% of their revenue. And all of a sudden, within hours of owning it, he all of a sudden is feeling very, you know, sort of um, much more friendly to the idea of content moderation, which, by the way, is a good thing. But it also raises the question as to how he's going to walk both of these tracks at the same time. Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough to pull off. And, of course, all this follows him actually spending some time in the building, right? I know he excused... Uh, some management, Rick, but actually being in the building, becoming the owner of of this platform might actually change the way he feels about some of these things. Yeah, look, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell how all this is going to shake down because, by the way, part of what is also happening, Joe, is there's a balkanization amongst all these different ideological groups into their own space around social media. Right. You know, there's been a proliferation of new organizations, not just True Social, uh, that are, you know, either uh, uh, streaming information or doing Twitter-like uh, messaging. And so uh, I think we're entering in this phase where, uh, you know, everybody's sort of migrating to their own space. And it'll be yeah. interesting to see who migrates to Twitter? We've already seen, as you pointed out, you know, some uh, advertisers uh, uh, looking to withdraw. Uh, some, some very high-profile Hollywood people are like, "We're out of here. We're not going to stick around." Um, and and if he unleashes Twitter and lets the, you know, um, uh, yeah, and other people come back on, <laughs> we can you know, call on this show. Yeah, how long? I've been dying to do that. Uh, how long is it before other people bail out? Right? I mean, like, yeah. so uh, it's. I think we're going to see the, like the wild west of social media for a while, which is exactly probably what the country doesn't need. But that's what happened to cable news, right? So the balkanization that Rick says, Jeannie, moves over to social media. Let's follow that for a second. What does that mean about the public discourse? Because Twitter could be uh, left to be irrelevant at that point, right? If the if the left goes its way, the right goes its way, everybody gets their Fox News, OAN, and MSNBC. What's the point of this thing? 
That's right. And by the way, if Rick Davis can just say yay a thousand times <laughs> over, that made my week. Thank you, Rick. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that is the reality, right? And that's the that's what Elon Musk is trying to avoid. He wants to make Twitter the go-to place for, for speech of all kinds. But the reality is it could be a really ill-conceived and bad idea to buy the thing because $44 billion was overpaying it at the beginning. It's certainly overpaying it now. He's stuck with it now. And he's of two minds on it, you know, free speech versus content moderation. But he needs also to have this thing be at least fairly lucrative or at least hold its own. And it can't do that at this point without advertisers. So I think the real question here is... How are you going to keep this afloat without advertisers? And if you're going to have adver- advertisers, they are going to walk off the platform if it becomes a home for crazy talk. Or and d- does it know, become th- just a home for milk toast, Rick, the way you're talking? If left and right both go in their own direction, what's left in the middle? Yeah, well, um, it, good question. I mean, uh, I think that uh, I think that that's going to be one of the things we're going to find out because, look, even Ye has been flirting. Uh, didn't he buy Parler? Isn't that now <laughs> yes, his new right. platform? Yes, yes. I mean, like, is he coming back to Twitter? I mean, like, maybe he and Donald Trump can do you know a whole merger or something, and you know, so so, so I don't know. I mean, like, it's. Uh, it's it's like this organization Gab. That's a new right wing alternative oh to Twitter. You know, yeah. are people going to move off of Twitter and onto Gab because we don't like to be with people who aren't like us? And as 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 you pointed out, the cable news uh, sorted itself out. But now look what we have. Maybe CNN is saying, oh, well, we, maybe that's, we got to get back to the, our roots of being it. just a news organization. Well, mm-hmm. that's the most helpful thing that could possibly happen, I would think, with with the proliferation of misdis and malinformation. So. Um, hopefully it's a movement in the right direction. Who knows? I mean, uh, I'll be the last one who will have a front row seat on how social media develops. I guess, well, you're probably choosing wisely. Uh, Jeannie, all of us wonks can just meet in, in the boring zone here on your favorite channel, C-SPAN. That's the way we do it, right? There is nothing boring about C-SPAN. <laughs> Joe Matthew, take it back right away. We love as, C-SPAN. I mean that as a compliment for crying out loud. That's Actually, they're, right. They're more I- essential than ever. And my gosh, how's C-SPAN going to get along when all their money comes from cable TV? If everyone's cutting the cord, that's a show for another day. But as far as this is concerned, Elon Musk could look like a very different person, Rick, to Jeannie's point. Uh, with this content moderation council, is he about to let down conservatives who think that this is, you know, he's about to, to unleash whatever fire they've been looking for on Twitter? What idiot would join a membership into the, uh, <laughs> the council? I mean, like, you got to be nuts, right? I mean, like, I'd like to paint a target on you today, Joe. I'm going <laughs> right. to give you this free pass into the content moderation council and yeah. so that everybody who's on Twitter can complain to you. They're going mean, to have to have security. It's like, why would you devise something like that? Well, it's really true. But I guess to your point, Jeannie, he's hearing about this now, right? He's hearing from uh, advertisers. He's hearing from people inside the building. I do find it fascinating that... GM has pulled out. A lot of folks were were wondering if something like that would happen, not because of politics, as much as he owns a car company. Uh, do they want to you know reveal their digital media strategy to the guy who runs Tesla, Genie? That's right. I mean, those are the other complications here. And, you you know, this content oversight board he's planning sounds very much like what Facebook has done. And and that, you know, people got a good chuckle out of what Facebook has done there. And today they were tweeting they welcome the opportunity to talk to Twitter about their plans in content moderation. And let's not forget, Twitter already had a content moderation or a security uh, area, if you will. And he, uh, you know, Elon Musk used to joke about that and laugh about it. 
Those people are all gone now as of yesterday. And he's putting something similar with a much more, you know, ominous sounding 1980, 40-year point name in place. <laughs> and hard to imagine that people who are free speech absolutists are going to feel like this is the place they want to be. Yeah. And oh, by the way, he also said, you know, he's not going to end the permanent bans quite yet. That's going to come after the board meets. So who's Somebody's on this board? Somebody's got to start a punk rock band called the Content Moderation Council. Somebody get it done. Let us know. We'll play your music. Jeannie, thank you. Rick, thank you. What a week. My God, how does all of this stuff happen all in one day? Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel, helping us walk into the weekend. As we leave you with the sounds of the killer. Yeah, there he is. Did you hear Jerry Lee Lewis died today? This time it was real. 87 years old, son of a Pentecostal preacher. His cousin was Jimmy Swagger. Did you know that? Taught himself how to play. And he was a walking scandal after marrying his 13-year-old cousin. But much like politics, he left us breathless. I'll see you back here Monday on the Fastest Hour in Politics. This is Bloomberg. Breathless. Breathless. 